All right, let's take our Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start on our next lesson in discipleship on the local church. And so we're not going to have the handout tonight. We'll start on that portion of it next week. I want to give you an introductory lesson tonight on the local church. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we'll start. Basically, we're going to outline the entire book of Ephesians. Now, don't, we're not going to read it all, so don't get scared. As a matter of fact, it won't be very long. Uh, but I want to give you the idea of the local church from the eyes of Paul in the book of Ephesians. And I think in Ephesians, he explains the concept of the local church better than in any other letter that he writes. And so we're just going to take this tonight as a snapshot and then next week, we'll look at more of the particulars as we do the lesson uh, with the handout uh, through the continued curriculum. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're just going to look at one verse and have a word of prayer, and then we will back up to chapter 1 and begin to look at some of these principles. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. And here's the goal. Here's the goal of the local church. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ desires in a local church that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Let me read it again. That he may present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. There's an old gospel song. It's in our hymn book. As a matter of fact, it's a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. I think the the songwriter is a little bit premature in saying that. It's not a glorious church yet. The Bible says one day he will present it to himself, a glorious church. But that's only if the church has been washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's have a word of prayer and we'll look back at Ephesians chapter 1 and we'll get started tonight. Father, help us, Lord, we pray. Lord, as we study the concept of God's local church. Lord, tonight and next week, we pray, Lord, that you would open up the Word of God to us and help us to understand uh, those that are part of the local church, why it's so important for us and to understand uh, the protection it offers, the, uh, uh, the family that it gives us, the, the shepherding and, and all the rest, all the different things that the local church provides for us, accountability and uh, a place to bear one another's burdens, a place to baptize the saved and and so, Lord, I pray that you just help us, Lord, to, to grow in understanding of this important concept. May the Spirit of God teach us, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think today, if we were to listen to the news and hear the word or the phrase, the church, it's usually in a derogatory sense, isn't it? Let's be honest. And I think mankind has done much to de- uh, in the detriment to the church and to damage the testimony of God's church. We understand that when the media or somebody is referring to the church, they're referring to a universal concept of the church. They're referring to anybody that calls themselves a Christian or belongs to any type of church. And we don't believe that to be so as far as the Word of God is concerned. And, and there's some reasons why, and we're going to look at some of those tonight, but in just, just in introduction... Because we believe in the, the, the true church or a, a Bible church is one that is compromised of Bible believers, those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. You have to be born again to be part of the church, and then the Spirit of God baptizes you into the local church. That just simply means that He indwells us and marks us or seals us and places us into this local church. And so uh, not everything that is called a church is a church. We just need to understand that. 
And uh, not everything that uh, claims to be Christian is Christian either. Uh, We must line up with the Word of God in order to claim those titles. But here's the thing. Christ knows what the true church really is. And when he returns to claim his own, he will separate the sheep from the goats, the Bible says. And those that are the true believers will be caught away forever to be with the Lord. And so let's look first of all tonight at the concept of the church. The concept of the church. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and read with me in verse 4. The Bible says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Jump down to verse 9. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself. And look at verse 11. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of of his own will. Now, there's a lot of doctrine in these passages of Scripture. And Brother Bauckham, I remember years ago coming to a meeting at your church with Brother James Knox, and he taught on all these different things from Ephesians chapter 1. It was some of the best teaching I'd heard on the topic. And we're not going to get into all these things tonight about election or predestination. We'll save those for another night. But I want, suffice to say, I want you to understand this what these words point at is that God had a plan. And that the concept of the local church was planned in the mind of God in eternity past. God had a plan to save us, that we might be born again. And notice some of the words in verse 4. He hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestinated us into the adoption of children. And so predestinated, uh, after according to the good pleasure of his will, verse 9, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. And so this was all God's plan. Everything about the local church. Say, well, this passage is speaking particularly about the saved or believers. And I agree with you. But the church is just simply a body of believers. That's what we are made up of. The building is not the church. It's the people. We know that, right? We've had that drilled into our heads over the years. And we'll drive down the street and say, well, that's a nice church. And I think in the a colloquialism of the day, we understand that somebody's talking about a building But we know that the biblical definition of the church is the believers. And so God had a plan in eternity past. The concept of the church uh, began or originated in the mind of God. God has made it because of that, that. That gives it value, doesn't it? That belong, if it something belongs to God or was God's idea, that just automatically gives it value. It is precious in the sight of God. The Bible says that Christ died for his church. And so the church is precious to God. But God has also made it that the church will suffer no legitimate need. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. He says, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. And that's where we get the concept of the local church, or we get the context of this passage, that what he is aiming at is all these believers come together in the church, the assembly. That's what the word means. The ecclesia means an assembly, uh, that we are gathered together as the, the body of Christ in his local church. But God has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, and which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So God provides and takes care of his church. 
And we under, need to understand that when we have a need in the local church, uh, we are to go to the Lord in prayer. I, I, have, I often think about this. God has given us spiritual gifts, and we're going to look at those in, at part of this message tonight. We'll find in Ephesians chapter 5, I believe. If there is a need in the local church, it's because somebody is not using their gift. God has given us gifts severally as he will. In other words, th think about this. If, if you say, well, I, I'm, I'm struggling to lift up this package or I'm struggling to do this work, well, maybe because you're missing an arm or you've injured your arm. Part of the body is not functioning properly, and so you can't, you don't have opposable thumbs or whatever, so you can't grab something. And uh, so, so when we struggle with an injury in our body or maybe an amputation or something that is missing, then the body struggles. The body of Christ also struggles when part of its body is not functioning properly. And so God has given us gifts that we are to use for his glory, and if we're not using them, then part of the body is struggling. And sometimes other people have to step over and do that job or take care of it, but they're not doing it with the same giftedness or spiritual giftedness as somebody else that God has blessed with that spiritual gift. And so it's important that we understand that God has given everything to the church. He said this in 1 Peter, that he has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. God has provided for his local church. So the concept of the church originated in the mind of God. Number two, you have to be converted to be a member. Look at verse 8, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 8. Oh, I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong verse. Chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, I'm pulling that verse out of context, that's obvious. But I want you to understand the context of the, the, the book of Ephesians is a letter to the church at Ephesus. And he's saying to them that in order to be a part of the church, you must be born again. For by grace are you saved through faith. Now think about this. This is the organ only organization on the face of the planet where you have to know Christ to be a member of. You can join a lot of organizations. There's a lot of places out there that would take you tomorrow if you could volunteer and, 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 and offer something to help them and further their cause. But the church of Jesus Christ requires you to be born again to be a member. Now think about this. That's why there's a lot of churches that really aren't churches. Because their membership is not compiled of those who are truly born again. They do not have a gospel message. I shared with you several years ago the United Church. We had rented from a United Church uh, facility. And I don't know if every United Church is like this. I know the vast majority would think in this way. The minister had been uh, in the ministry for uh, some 35 years at the time. And he printed his messages out in manuscript and left them in the lobby. And I picked one up at Christmas time, and it was called Sin and Salvation. I thought, well, that'll be interesting. I'll read that. And I began to read it. And it said, it, it said, it would take somebody half crazy to ask you, are you saved? And it would take somebody even crazier to know how to answer that question. That's a minister of the gospel, as, as he so calls himself. I, I'm glad that, that I can know that I'm saved. These things have I written unto them that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no question in that phrase. You shall be saved. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so we can know that we are saved and to be able, and that's the requirement of being part of the local church. The Bible says on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says, then they that gladly received his word were baptized and added unto them. They were saved, they were baptized and added to the local church. You have to be converted to be a member. It is the only organization on earth that such is necessary. Look at verse 14 of chapter 2. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And came and preached peace to you that were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one Spirit uh, unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone." And so we are glad to be a part of his local church, but only if you know Jesus as your Savior. I want you to see the third thing we find in Ephesians, the cost of the church. The cost of the church. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about tithing or giving an offering. Notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Notice that word, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Chapter 4 and verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Look at chapter 6 and verse 20 with me. The Bible says here, For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now the truth is this, the cause of Christ and being a part of God's local church cost Paul far more than it would maybe cost us. He says twice I'm a prisoner and a third time I'm an ambassador in bonds. But I think the point is clear that it sometimes should cost us something to be a part of. Uh, how many of you understand this? Those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And I, I think we, we've seen a, a fundamental change over the last 50 years and uh, 50 years is how long I've been on this earth, but just looking back in history, and I don't remember, of course, 50 years ago, but looking back in history, it's interesting to think that most people went to church. I remember an English teacher in high school saying when she was a little girl, she says everybody went to church. Uh, whatever stripe that meant, but they were church-going people, and they wanted to learn about God, and they wanted to learn about the Bible, whether they had the doctrine of salvation straight or not. They at least had a hunger and a thirst for God and wanted to know more, and they had a void in their life without God. Today, the opposite is true. If you preached on sin 50 years ago, that was the norm in society, but today now sin is preaching against us, and it's beating down the truth. And so we see a fundamental shift that is taking place. And being a part of a church now may cost you something. And Paul says, uh, think about this, a prisoner is one who has lost their, their uh, liberty. They've, their movement is restricted. And the, and the Bible echoes that thought throughout. We are to be 
living sacrifices for Christ. We are to be willing to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, to give up our own rights and freedoms. And I, I really struggled with that through the last few years when everybody was saying, I want my rights, I want my rights, I want my rights. You know the church at Laodicea? And many believe we live in the Laodicean age. The word Laodicea literally means the rights of the people. That the rights of the people would be more important than serving Jesus Christ. And as a result, you'll remember the church of Laodicea is, is found in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will come in unto him and sup with him. The Lord Jesus Christ is on the outside trying to get back into his church. Wanting fellowship desperately with the people that are inside. But they're functioning without him because they said our rights are more important than surrendering to the Lord Jesus Christ. So church audit should cost us something. I don't mean to, 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 that you should come here on a Sunday and we fleece you of all your money. That's not what I'm talking about you, but I'm saying that we ought to surrender to the will of God. We need, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'll be honest with you, we need more young people to surrender to the will of God and to go into the full-time ministry. Or else as a nation, we're in a lot of trouble. Uh, God expects us to live holy. He expects us to be separate from the world. He, Paul said, I die daily. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Uh, we are to come out from among the world and be separate. Jesus said, take up thy cross and follow me. All terms of surrender. My wife was reading something to me. She has Instagram. I don't have Instagram, but she has Instagram and she follows her children. That's about what she follows. And then she follows her children's friends, I think, just to make sure that they got the right friends. And so, and I'm talking about children that are 25 and 26 years old. She still follows to make sure they got the right friends. But she was reading me. So she's listening to this, what this girl said. I can do whatever I want and Jesus still loves me. The problem is it's true. God still loves the world. But that doesn't mean he approves of the behavior. Here's the problem, young lady. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And if he does love you like he says he does, you're in trouble because the Lord's not going to allow you to continue in your sin. As a matter of fact, the world has run amok and, and they're going wild, but Jesus doesn't know them. He said, well, wait a minute, doesn't God know everything? One day they'll stand at the judgment seat of Christ and if they've never accepted Jesus Christ, they'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. But for those that know the Lord, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And so we ought to restrict ourselves and make sure that we are living lives that honor the Lord. And then we see, fourthly, the contribution to the church. And again, I'm not talking about money. Aren't you glad? No, nobody's glad? Ephesians chapter 4, look what it says. Verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Look down at verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the, protect, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait 
to deceive. In Ephesians chapter 4, we, we read that God gave gifts unto men. The Bible talks about evangelists and teachers and preachers and, and such. But if we were to look at 1 Corinthians 12, and I won't tonight uh, for the sake of time, we would find a whole bunch of spiritual gifts that we just talked about a couple weeks ago when we talked about the Spirit of God. The, 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 the gift of charity and the gift of exhortation and the gift of giving and all those different gifts that we studied out a couple weeks ago. But all of those gifts are to be used in the local church. That is the context. Notice that he gave, when he gave gifts unto men in Ephesians chapter 4, he gave them to the church. The evangelists, the apostles. Now, be careful. Sometimes we hear about this big name evangelist on TV and we think, well, it's exciting. And let me ask you, what church does he attend? Think about that. Is he under the authority of a local church? If he's not, then he doesn't have biblical authority to preach the word of God. We need to be careful. Brother Eric Hilton was just sharing with me that when they were traveling and singing more with his family, that they were at different conventions and things, and there was different groups, and he'd say to them, well, where are you from? And they'd tell him where he's from. He goes, oh, I've been to that town. He says, what church are you a member at? Oh, well, we really don't have a church. Like, you don't have a church. You need a local church. You need a church you're a member of, a place where you can send your prayer requests, a place where you tithe, and a place where your children will get baptized, and, and a place where you find fellowship when you're off the road. And you need that, and you need the authority behind you to go out and preach and minister. And he says so many of them didn't have a church at all. They just traveled, and if they were home, they didn't go anywhere. Isn't it sad? So the contribution of the church, everything falls under the local church. Every Christian received a birthday gift. When you got saved and born again, you received a gift from God. And we must make sure that we develop that and use it for God's glory. There's a story told of a doctor who came along and was ministering in a, an area that was, was a low income, and he was going house to house. This is years and years ago. He was going house and house, and he was just checking. It was a charity program in the city of Chicago, and he was going place to place and checking on the children and, and you know, making sure they were healthy and just giving checkups. And he came to this one little boy, and he says to the mother, he said, well, I'll be back in, in a couple months, and i got to do a few things here. I'm going to set up a clinic and a trailer. And he says, I gotta take, I'm gonna, I'll take out his tonsils. And she says, well, are they inflamed? Are they infected? And he says, no. Then why are you taking them out? He says, well, they really doesn't need them. They're spare parts. And just in case, they might cause trouble down the road. And the father heard in the other room, and he said, he was wise enough to say this, God did not make any spare parts. I, think, I thought about that, and I thought that's a good illustration with the local church. Nobody is a spare part. Everybody has a part to play. Doesn't matter how small you think your gift is, use it for the glory of God. It's amazing to think. I heard of a, a singer who, if, if I were to say his name, we, our choir has sang some songs that he has written. You might not know that, but we have sang some songs that this fellow has written. He sings with a trio and travels all over the world. And uh, I, I believe he's the real deal. I believe he's, he's a godly man, loves the Lord. And he said this once, I heard him give a testimony. He says... I never thought that I was good enough to sing or write music. But he said, one day I prayed and said, Lord, this is all I have. And if I can give it to you and you can use it. And he says, God has done all the rest. That's what we do with our gift. Just use it for the glory of God and see what he won't do. That's 
the contribution to the church. And then I want you to see, fifthly, the conduct of a church member. The conduct of a church member. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Or sorry, Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse 22. I, I jumped ahead there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. That you put off, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt as according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That you put on the new man which is after God, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands and thing which is good, that he might have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you." Those 11 verses just continuously tell us about our conduct. Put off some things, put on some things, put away lying, speak every main truth with his neighbor, and so on and on and on where we are to behave ourselves in a certain way. The Bible has standards. You know, we, we say, well, we don't like all the standards at church. The Bible has standards. God has standards. He has a certain code of conduct he expects us to follow. I, right now, I'm discipling a young man in our school. He's a little boy, and he's, he's just struggling. He just doesn't want to listen to the teacher, and he doesn't want to do his schoolwork. And uh, how many of you were, were little boys like that that didn't want to do your schoolwork, you know? And he's just struggling. And so on Tuesdays and Thursdays now, at, at, as soon as he gets to school, he comes to my office, and we are doing building blocks for children. And it's a, a Bible discipleship program, and we're going through that, and we're doing a little bit, about 15 minutes in a little book, and then we'll sit and we'll talk a little bit about some of his issues, and we'll pray together, and we're memorizing a verse together. And this is the verse we're memorizing. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. And that's as far as we've got. We're just adding a little phrase each week because he's just little. Be ye kind one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. Because here's the problem. When he gets bored in school... He wants to do other things. And sometimes the other little kids are getting in trouble too, or he's getting rough with them. He wants to wrestle. He's a boy. He wants to wrestle and play, and that's not working out so well. So I'm trying to remind him, be kind. What I'm saying is God has a certain conduct he expects from us. He expects some. I could go, I, we could spend all night just looking at the things God expects us to do. But I think we basically know the difference between right and wrong, don't we? Years ago, I was asked to preach a youth conference, and, and I preached on in the book of Jude. I used that verse where it says, they are sensual, having not the Spirit. And here's the thing. There's two things in the Bible that are opposite. You are sensual or you are spiritual. Sensual means to follow after our senses, what feels good, what, what appeals to us. I always like to use illustration with young people. It's like smelling that KFC chicken. You get the parking lot. They do that on purpose, right? Because they know you can smell it a mile away. We were at Canadian Tire the other day and we smelt it in the parking lot. It just, it's like Bugs Bunny following that carrot. You remember that? They just float over there. And so I was talking to the teens about that and I said, but spiritual is the opposite. 
It's that which appeals to the spirit and that what is pleasing unto God. And then I did a game with them. And I had each kid get up and they had a cue card that I had made up ahead of time and they each read it. And, uh, and as soon as they read that card, some of them, were, it was something about dating and it wasn't very good. It, it'd say, I want to go over there and, and make out with that guy or whatever, you know. And, and I'd say, I'd look to the rest of the crowd and say, now is that sensual or spiritual? And they'd all go, sensual. And then we do one, say, that, that girl in the choir, boy, she just, she sings with her heart unto God, and I'd like to get to know her better. Is that sensual? And they said, that's spiritual. And I said, you guys already know this stuff. And the truth is, we know right and wrong. But it's whether or not we're going to do it. That's the, that's the trial. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is Sin. It's interesting when we read about the story of the man that built his house upon the rock and the man that built his house upon the sand and the storm came and beat upon it. The Bible says, Jesus says, I liken the man who built his house upon the rock to him that heareth the word of God and doeth it. It's not just about knowing it, it's about doing it and being obedient to the word of God. So I could go through and give you a whole list of do's and notes, but you already know them. It's just a matter of understanding that God expects us to behave a certain way in the church. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with his spirit, or be filled with the spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine what church would be like if we all just came in on Sunday and said, I'm going to just do those three verses? I'm going to sing and make melody in my heart unto God. I'm going to be filled with the Spirit. I'm going to give thanks for everything I see. Well, that's not easy, is it? We like to grumble about a lot of things. Submitting yourselves, verse 21, one to another in the fear of God. You say, how do I do that? How how do I submit to him and he submits to me at the same time? How does that work? That just means you prefer one another. If you get to the door first, you hold it for the other person. If he gets there next time, he'll hold it for you. It's just about honoring other people and submitting to them and and preferring them before yourselves. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ and the head of the church. Frank asked me to preach on this tonight. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Notice, to have a glorious church, he says, I want the members to conduct themselves a certain way. And he gives us a long list. Let me give you the last thing tonight. The conflict of the church. Ephesians chapter 6. The conflict of the church. Every Christian needs to know how to fight battles. And I don't mean picking up arms with one another. How many of you have seen the movie War Room? Anybody seen that movie? The movie on prayer? The Christian movie on prayer? And I, I'm struck by the one line, the lady talks about how her and her husband are going through some marriage troubles to that older lady. And she says, one thing we know how to do is we know how to fight. And the other lady says, no, I don't think you do. And what she meant was having a prayer closet and getting down on your knees before God and going to battle. That's spiritual warfare. 
And so notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, putting on the whole armor of God. By the way, the armor of God is not used to come to church and fight against the brethren. That's not its purpose. But they may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's its purpose. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not with one another, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Then he gives us the pieces of armor. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of his faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. For all, uh, for all saints. God has given us enough armor to be successful in any conflict, but here's what we really need to understand. You have to decide who you're fighting against. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, and all the rest. I, I tell you when, you, when we had teenagers in the house and there was some backlash and whatever going on, it was great to be reminded we're not, we're not fighting with them. We're fighting with whatever's going on in their spirit. And so we can make it a matter of prayer and ask God to take care of that. That doesn't mean we didn't, as parents, have to discipline or do whatever we needed to do. But sometimes we as Christians, we like to put our armor on and go to a deacon meeting or go to a business meeting or just come to church and give somebody a piece of our mind and, and fight in conflict. And don't get me wrong, if there's conflict, you need, the Bible says if we have aught with a brother, we're to go with him. Talk with them. And reason it out. And, and, but don't forget Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, have forgiven you. But we are to understand that the, the root of, of this battle is spiritual. Always remember that. Sometimes we forget to pray because we forget there's a spiritual battle going on. And every situation, there's something going on. Listen, God is working and, and Satan's trying to unravel it just as quick. And so we must be a people of prayer, praying always with all prayer and supplication uh, in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We're praying for one another. God wants a glorious church, but it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of prayer takes a lot of being filled with the Spirit and surrendering to God and submitting to one another and conducting ourselves in a way that is pleasing unto the Lord. All right, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll break up and you can pray as long as you like tonight. It's, it's about quarter to eight. Just be careful if you leave. The buses will leave about five after. So watch for children in the parking lot. Father, we love you. We thank you for being so good to us. We pray you bless us in our prayer time. Hear our cries and know our hearts. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.